Shalom, everyone. And again, we would like to welcome you to the Science of the Covenant podcast on another glorified holy day. It's Holy Shabbat. And we want to give praises to our creator, Yahuwah, and his son, Yahusha. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is airing live or even after live, if you're watching after, uh, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. If we are live and you're watching on a computer and you want to put a message in the chat, also put it there and we would try to address your comment or your question uh, while we're live. So if you notice, we have been uh, studying the pastor has been giving us an excellent series on the destiny of disobedience. If you know that everything that has been going on in the media in regards to many black people starting to find out that we're the true Hebrews, why we ended up in all of this, the pastor addresses these things in the destiny of disobedience by the word of the scripture. So it's very interesting. Now we're on uh, nine. And there are eight, so far, eight in this series. If you haven't listened to the first eight, I implore you to go back and listen to them because you're going to learn a lot from these, uh, these series. Especially if you are a Hebrew and you're just coming into Hebrew, the more you learn, the more you know what it takes as we are the chosen people. The more knowledge you know, the more better as you try to work your way to getting into the kingdom. So, Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you. So we are on part nine of the destiny of disobedience. I, I believe so. Uh, this part, we want to continue from where we left off uh, last week. And what we were trying to show last week was the fact that there have been a number of brilliant leaders among our people, but Still, we haven't gotten the freedom or the emancipation from our condition in which we are in, and we are still struggling. So we are looking at some of the causative factors of why that is. And so we want to uh, look at uh, our condition, but in looking at our condition, we also want to look at the cause of our condition, and then eventually want to get to the prescription for the condition in which we're in. So I believe today we're going to be look, continuously looking at our condition, but in looking at our condition, we also want to look at a philosophical approach. What is our philosophy of the reason why we are in the condition that we're in? And we want to look at that. And if time permit, we may get into some of the, what we call the, uh, stage of looking at the causes, but we won't try to get into the prescription of our condition uh, until we have laid this foundation. So with that in mind, let us pray that as we go into this, looking at what we call the diagnosis of our situation, that we can be able to understand where we are, where we are. Eternal Father, we thank you for another privilege of being able to Go into your word and to be able to understand the plight of your people at this particular time. And we do ask, so Heavenly Father, for enlightenment, intelligence, 
and most of all, a relationship with you that we can be able to not only understand, but to put in practice the things that you give us that we may be the better for it. We ask that I bless the technicians, that as they do the technology of the program, that I would be with them. Pray and ask that you would be with the speaker, that he may be able to voice the things that you would have him to voice. And most of all, we ask that you would be with each listener, that they may not only understand, but they may be able to put in practice the things, Lord, that they learn. And as we continue to walk and talk with you, that you would guide us in the way that we should go, that when it's all over, we can be your children that can be accepted by thee, and one day we'll have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim, our creator and maker. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, our first text that we want to look at, and not the entire text, but a portion of it, and we want to turn to Proverbs chapter 26, and we want to consider verse number 2. Proverbs 26, 2 says, As the bird by wandering and as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Now, the latter part of the verse is what we want to consider. The Bible says, so the curse causeless shall not come. In other words, there has to be a cause for every curse. And as we looked at, as we have looked upon our people, that they have been cursed in slavery. And so we want to continue to pursue that because we are not totally out of slavery today, even though we have given, been given our freedom. Now that we have some assessment of Israel's condition, and we're not, not only talking about ancient Israel, but we're also talking about modern Israel. We looked at certain leaders like um, Marcus Garvey, uh, Frederick Douglass. We looked at Sir John of Truth and Harriet Tubman. We looked at people like Jesse Jackson, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Louis Farrakhan. We looked at a lot of these leaders, and we are asking the question, with all of the brilliant knowledge that they have, why are we still in the same condition? We want to address that issue. So we want to look at some of the causative factors which brought about such a condition. For every condition, there is a cause. That's what Solomon said. The son of David says that if, if there's a condition, there had to be a cause. So for every condition, there is a cause. And when we consider the leaders, the abolitionists, and the civil rights activists, they address some of the rights of the freed people. However, at this juxtaposition, what we want to observe is what caused the condition. You see, we can diagnose it, and then we have to look at, after we have diagnosed the condition, is what are the causes of this condition. In dealing with the causative factors, we want to align them with their causes. It was the son of David who said in the book of Proverbs that the curse causally shall not come, which simply means that if there is a curse, there has to be a cause. And without a cause, there cannot be a curse. 
Let us see if we can trace down the causes for the curses upon our people. First, we list the curse, then we seek out the cause of it. In the Torah, the causes were uttered from Mount Ebo as a result of breaking Yah's covenant. And that's found in Deuteronomy 27, uh, verse 13. It talks about that, Deuteronomy 27, 13. Uh, I'm not sure if we have that as one of the texts, but we'll consider that text at this uh, juxtaposition. Now, when we read in Deuteronomy 27, 13, notice what it says. It said, and these shall stand upon Mount Ebo to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. In other words, uh, there were two mountains, Mount Garrison and Mount Ebo. Mount Garrison was where, if they kept the covenant, Elohim had them to utter all of the blessings as a result of keeping the covenant. However, upon Mount Ebo, they were to utter the curses. And the curses was as a result of their disobedience to the covenant, what would happen to them. So it's not like what is happening to Elohim's people today should shock us. What should shock us is the fact is that Elohim told his people that if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. It was not an afterthought. They knew this before they broke the covenant. Moreover, he also gave the curses for disobedience to his covenant. And what we must understand about a curse and his cause is that there is no expiration date on them. As far as Yah's covenant is in existence, whenever it is violated, a curse will result. The cause which triggers the curse is the breaking of the covenant, and the effects of breaking the covenant is a curse. Our lives are affected by our obedience or disobedience to his covenant. So we must understand that what we are going through is not just a happenstance or something that just happened to us. We must understand it in the light of the sense that what Elohim is telling us is that the plight that we are in was already prophesied long before it happened. And so when we look at these causes, we want to try to eventually get to the cure for them. Okay, now we want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. And we want to look at chapter num number 8, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Now the wise man, the son of David, says, that the curse causeless should not come. So if we are cursed, there had to be a cause. Now we want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we want to consider verse number 11. Now the Bible says this, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now, one of the things we must learn about a curse is that it may not come immediately, even though the cause has been set in motion. There are curses which may 
come immediately. However, between the cause and the effect, there is a grace period. Solomon points out that because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Elohim doesn't immediately bring judgment upon an evildoer right away in many instances. So often, those who do evil may feel that they have gotten away with what they have done because punishment doesn't come immediately. Instead of them realizing that the delay, the delayed time between what they did and the judgment is a grace period to repent, they think that because when they do something wrong and they're not struck down right away, that they have gotten away with their evil deed. Moreover, there is another way we can approach the delayed time of an evil action performed and the coming of a curse. Whenever wrong is done, immediately the curse starts. However, it isn't fully implemented. When we consider our first parents, okay, our first parents, Adam and Eve, who made a breach in Yah's covenant, did they receive retribution right away? When Yah's covenant was made with Adam, he was told that in the day, in the day that thou eateth, the Bible says, thou shalt surely die. When he and his wife ate, did they actually die that same day? Well, there are at least two ways we can view this. Let us consider these two views. Let us look at it. In other words, we know when they sinned, they had made they had made a breach in the covenant. What was the covenant? The covenant that Elohim had given to our first parent. He said, if you eat it, you will die. Okay. He said, in the day that you eat it, you shall die. Okay. So we want to look at this in two aspects. First, in speaking of a day in the sense of a 24-hour period would prove to be in question as it would prove to be in question as it relates to Adam and his wife. Now, the question that we would have, if they were to die the same day that they ate it, then the question is, why didn't they die in that 24-hour period they ate it? So that would raise a question. After they ate of the forbidden, they did not die the same day. For the mere fact that they had children later on and Adam died at the age of 900 and 30 years. And that's in Genesis 5-5. Uh, five, five. It says that he lived 930 years. So apparently they didn't die within a 24-hour period. That's obvious. How is it that Elohim said in the day they ate, they would die, and yet they continued to be, they continued to live beyond the day in which they made a breach in Yah's covenant? How could this be? Was the serpent right when he said, "Ye shall not surely die"? And when we, when in, in Genesis three four, when he said to Adam and Eve, 
uh, at least he said to Eve, you shall not surely die. So if they didn't die in the same 24-hour period in which Elohim said they would die, if we are looking at it from that aspect, then maybe this serpent was right. You should not surely die. But we must understand that even though they they uh, didn't die, the same day in which they partook of the forbidden, the death process had begun. It, it had started, even though they didn't totally die. So we must understand that all of Yah's creation has a covenant with him, both the animate and the inanimate things in which he created to exist. So in his covenant are laws, and when they are broken, the process of deterioration starts. Even though the total deterioration doesn't all come at once, so when they broke the covenant, that same day, the process of them experiencing death started, but it was not, it was so very minute, so small that it was not discernible. They could not detect that they were dying, but they were. That's the first view. Now, this second view will so somewhat support the first view, even though in the first view, Death started in the day, in that 24-hour period. It started. They broke the covenant. Yet in this second view, the time sequence is different. Okay? We want to look at the difference of the time sequence. And looking at the difference of the time sequence, we want to turn to Second Peter. Second Peter, the third chapter. And we want to look at verse number 8. Second Peter 3, 8. Okay. Second Peter chapter three and verse eight. Now the Bible says here in the eighth verse of the third chapter of Second Peter, it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with Yahor as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So in other words, what we are looking at is that when Elohim speaks about a day, he's not talking about a 24-hour period. He's talking about the longevity of a thousand years. A thousand years is a day with Elohim, and a day is a thousand years with Elohim. This is what Second uh, Peter uh, 3.8 is saying. So when we look at a day... When Elohim says they would die in the day, they ate. Yah is referring to a thousand-year period. And we are told from Scripture that one day is with Yah as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So from this, we can see that if Adam lived 930 years, he came shy of 70 years of living a thousand years, which would be to Yah one day. So it's clear. He did die within a day. Therefore, in actuality, they did they died in the day they ate of the fruit that was forbidden. 
for Adam to have come short of 70 years of living a thousand years would also mean that the death process started the same 24-hour day he ate and broke the covenant. So why were they dying? Because they broke the covenant by eating. And it slowly and slowly took their life that they were not able to eat. They were not able to live one day, which would have been a thousand years. Therefore, when we consider the effects of a curse from the initial time Adam made a breach in the covenant and the ultimate fulfillment of the curse, it didn't come until years later, even for us today, we are being cursed to a large extent for what our forefathers transgressed years apart from us. We are not even exempt from the transgression of Adam. We are told in scriptures that, well, let's turn to it. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we want to look at verse number 5. Exodus 20, verse 5. And here we read in verse 5 of Exodus 20, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself, talking about other Elohims, thou shalt not bow thyself down to, to them, nor serve them, for I... Yahuwah, thy Elohim, am a jealous El, visiting the iniquities upon the children unto the third and the fourth generations of them that hate me. So the Bible says that when those of our generation uh, transgress his covenant, his laws, that it affects us to the third and the fourth generation. So Yah visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate him, according to Exodus 20, verse 5. So one of the things we can learn from this is that there can be a considerable lapse between the cause of a curse and the curse's fullest maturation. In other words, we can have a curse, but it, doesn't, it may not fully mature in one lifetime. It may mature in another lifetime. Because a curse is the result of breaking the covenant, we must not keep on breaking it because we do not realize the full, the fullness of the curse. We must understand that Yah's covenant, once broken, will start the curse. However, by repenting, we could lessen the full curse, but by presumption, but by presuming upon his grace and continuing to violate his covenant, his full curse can come upon us. Now, how is it that those in the past and the present have been able, have not been able to fully free us? Why is that? Why is these, br these brilliant leaders, they are brilliant. If you listen to what they say, they have brilliant minds. Why haven't we been free from the curse? In order to both understand why they weren't, weren't able to fully emancipate us and to use their abilities to free us, we must understand that their philosophy in doing so. Many of their philosophical approaches as brilliant men 
as brilliant as they are, could not free our people, nor could they bring about what was needed to bring about their prosperity. They realized that we are free. After Lincoln had freedom, they went through a period of the Reconstruction. They were free, and brilliant leaders rose up to try to help us to get to prosperity, but yet we were not able to get it. Why was this? Okay, let us turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. We want to look at Second uh, Chronicles, chapter twenty, and also we want to look at verse number twenty. Second Chronicles twenty twenty. Now here we read in the twentieth chapter of the twentieth verse in in in, in Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Verse 20 and chapter 20. Okay. Let me see. Second Chronicles 2020. Okay. So here we are. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. Okay. Now the Bible says this. Second Chronicles verse 20 of chapter 20. It says, and they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. He said, Believe Yahweh your Elohim. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets so shall ye prosper. So there's two things in order for us to get out of captivity of what we're in. There's two things. He said, number one, Jehoshaphat says to Judah, his people, he said, believe in Yah, your Elohim. He said, if you believe in the true Elohim, he said, he's going to establish you. Now, we must admit that when we were slaves in this country. We were believing in everything. And even the leaders who got us out of, uh, uh, who was trying to get us out of captivity, uh, we did not believe in the true Elohim. We started believing in Methodism. We started believing in Presbyterianism. And we believed in all of the other denomination, African Episcopal Mesopotamian Church. We believed in all of these different religions. But the fact is that the Baptists, the Methodists, the Adventists, and all of these religions, they did not come back fully to the covenant. Because he said, you got to believe in the true Elohim. In order to come back to the true Elohim, you had to believe in what? His covenant that he gave. And when you believe in his covenant, you will believe in the true Elohim. And the second thing that he says not only believe in a true Elohim, he said, but believe in your prophets, and so shall you prosper. The reason why we don't, we don't prosper because we don't believe in the prosperity, we won't believe in the prophets. What do you mean by believing in the prophets? Well, when you say you believe in the prophets, what you are saying is the prophets, they preached about his covenant. That's what he was trying to get ancient Israel to do, is to come back to his covenant. So now, if he told them to come back to the prophets, he is telling us in the last days that we should come back to the prophets if we want prosperity. So if we believe in the true Elohim by coming to his true covenant 
and the prophets who preached this covenant, and we come back to that, we will get prosperity. That's what will get us out of the situation which we're in. So the prophets were Yah's mouthpieces to proclaim his covenant to his people. If they obeyed, they were established and they prospered. If they disobeyed, they were both unable to settle themselves and were in poverty. Our philosophy cannot be put in place until Yah's philosophy is put in place. Our will must be subservient to his will. We cannot put our philosophy over his. The only way that we can set our philosophy is first we must establish his. Why the philosophical approaches of our civil rights activists have not been able to fully emancipate us as a people, why is this? Already we have looked at a number of the rights we have been denied as a result of the curse upon us. And we cannot get out of this curse until we recognize the factors that is militating against us getting out of it. For when we, go, for when we went away from Yah's covenant, then we went away from him. So that means that when we come back to his covenant, which we'll be discussing later, then we can come back to being reconciled to him. But in the meantime, there are basically two philosophical ideologies we must consider as we seek to fully integrate into not only the America, but in any society we desire full support and fair treatment. Now, the first philosophical ideology is that of equality. Why don't we get equality in this nation? Well, let's look at it. Okay. In dealing with this ideology of equality, we want to look at two types of equalities. The first type of equality is what we refer to as personal equality. And we call this type of equality individual equality. And individual equality is where one person or a group of persons merges with another group or a nation. And when we speak in terms of an individual person or a group who merges into another group or a nation and expect to receive equality, then there are some variables that we should consider. Okay. Now, first, we should consider what values are considered important for an individual or a group of which one wants to hold on to when they are taken captive by another nation. Okay, now we want to explore this because it's very important that we understand this. Let us go to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we want to consider the first chap, first chapter found in the book of Daniel. Okay. In the book of Daniel, we want to consider the first chapter. And we're going to look at verse number one. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. Now notice what verse 1 of the first chapter says of Daniel. It said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem 
to besiege it. Okay, it was under Nebuchadnezzar that he overtook the throne of Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah at this time. And he besieged them. He took them into captivity. Okay. Now, when he took them into captivity, what we notice is that there were four individuals that stood out among those who had, came, had come from Judah. So when we consider uh, what values are considered important for an individual or a group which one wants to hold on to, as in the case of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when it comes to their way of eating and worshiping, they were different from the Babylonians. You see, when they came into the course of Babylon, they had dietary practices and worshiping practices that was far different from the Babylonians. So when we were taken into slavery in America, our eating habits and worshiping habits were far different from those here in America. They were different. Okay? Now, let us, let us look at verse number 8. Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Okay? So even uh, Daniel was contesting that which was the king was, was dealing with. Okay? Now, let us turn to Daniel chapter, chapter 3. Now, we know that they had, a, uh, they had something dealing with their diet. Now, let us see what else that they, they have uh, trouble with. Okay, we want to turn to Daniel chapter 3, and we'll look at uh, verses 10 through, 10 through 12. Daniel chapter 3, 10 through 12. The Bible says, Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the satbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worship and worships that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So, so here we see they are taken to captivity. Their diet is in question, and also their worship is in question. Okay, let us look at one more example on worship. Let us turn to uh, Daniel chapter 6. So Daniel, the chapter 6, we are looking at uh, verses 10 to 12. Okay, now in, in verse 10 through 12 of the 6th chapter of Daniel, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was sad, he went into the house and his widow and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed 
and gave thanks before his Elohim as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplications before his Elohim. Then they came near and they spake before the king. <clears throat> this is King Darius, not Nebuchadnezzar this time. And they came near and they spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any other Elohim or man within 30 days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which alter it not. So here we see that a death decree was given for anybody who would not worship the king as the king saw fit. So even in Persia, let us go to Persia. Let us go to the book of Esther. <clears throat> let us turn back to the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, we want to look at chapter 3, book of Esther in chapter 3. And in chapter 3 of book of Esther, we want to look at the first three verses. It said, after these things did Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadith, that he, he wanted to promote Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the Agagite, and advance him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. And verse 3 says, then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgress thou the king's commandment? So what we are seeing here is that even in Persia, when the Jews were taken <coughs> captive, their laws were <coughs> their laws were different from those of the Persian Empire. And one of the laws was, according to the commandment, they should not bow down to any other Elohims. So who they worship were different from those of the Persian Empire. So we asked the question, can an enslaved people be given the equality of another nation whose way of life differ and, and does not coincide with theirs? Most likely... If there is a conflict of values whereby the enslaved people choose to follow their way of life in opposition to how their captors live, generally, when there is a rift between the oppressed and the oppressor, the oppressor generally has his way. Now, the second philosophical thing out of ideology is that of compromise or conformity. When an enslaved people or a group of people are taken captive by another group or nation, there are two concerns of which we should consider. When we enslave, when, when an enslaved people come into a nation that neither practice or tolerate differences of lifestyles, 
which varies from theirs, there may be at least two responses to the enslaved people by their captors. Now, those who captured them may give them two choices. Now, first, there may be a compromise in which both the enslaved and their enslavers can agree upon. If that is so, then there is a tolerant level, there's a tolerance level that is reached whereby the enslaved can value their lifestyle without being in conflict with those who have taken them captive. In other words, there may be that their lifestyle and those who have taken them in captivity may not have a conflict of lifestyles, but then how much of their lifestyle can be maintained that can be tolerated? They may tolerate some things, but there may be other things that they may not tolerate. So is the compromise of which their captors give to them, is it a partial compromise or is it an impartial compromise? If it is a partial compromise, this would mean that either one or two possibilities can result. The things which are being compromised upon are those things which even their enslavers are doing or they do not necessarily matter to them. So if we are taken into captivity and they don't and they allow us to do things according to our values, it may mean it doesn't mean anything to them or it could mean that maybe they practice the same thing too. On the other hand, a partial compromise may mean also that the things they want to compromise on will not be tolerated. And if the enslaved people looks upon that which cannot be tolerated by the enslaver as a violation of one's rights, then how is such a violation of rights to be dealt with by the enslaved people? And how do the enslaver deal with it as well? So you see, we have a dilemma. How is such a dilemma dealt with? Let us consider this dilemma. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar took the captives of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, there were some things which were tolerated and others were not. Now, among the captives of Judah, there were four individuals that we pointed out who maintained their values in certain things. And these four individuals were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, we want to turn back to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we want to go back to the first chapter of Daniel. And in the first chapter of Daniel, we want to look at uh, verse number 6, Daniel 1, 6. Okay. Now, in the sixth verse of Daniel chapter 1, it said, Now among these were the children of 
of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So these four, when they had come into Babylon, and we know that there were at least three conflicting issues which presented themselves, and those issues were, namely, their diet, their names, and their worship. Those three issues that they had to deal with. They had to deal with their diet, their names, and worship. Now, when it comes to their diet, they were uncompromising with it, even though they were in the enemy's camp. They, they didn't compromise their diet. However, in matters of diet, they were able to arrive at a compromise. Now, in the same chapter of Daniel, chapter 1 and verse 14, okay, we'll get to that in just a minute. It said, it said after Daniel negotiated with Melzar, the prince of the eunuchs, to give them what they wanted to eat and to still fulfill the expectations of King Nebuchadnezzar, they were granted permission to do so. Now, notice what it says in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 1, verse 14. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. So sometimes when you are taken into captivity, you can still negotiate with those who have taken you in captivity, and they would allow you to do what you're doing. Because Daniel said he can't eat of the king's meat, but we can still fulfill the king's demand if you give us what we want to eat. And they did it. And Melzar, who was over the eunuchs, he allowed them to do that. And they reached a compromise. And it's good that when you're with your enemy, you can reach a compromise with your enemy. However, what stood out most about their unwillingness to compromise was that their but it, 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 well, well, like I've said, they were able to compromise. So when it comes to changing their names from the Hebrew names, which reflected their relationship to their true Elohim, because in Babylon, the names that they were given represented the gods of Babylon and not the true Elohim. So the Babylonian names reflected the heathen deities. They didn't make any opposition about it. Now, notice what it says in, in verse 7, Daniel chapter verse 7. Now, in verse 6 of Daniel 1, 6, it shows what their true names were. And those true names represented the true Elohim who created the heaven and the earth. That's what it represented. That's why a lot of the names of the Old Testament and the names of the prophets, they had the name of Elohim or Yah on the end to show some attribute of the true Elohim that had created and sustained them. But now Nebuchadnezzar's Elohims or gods, they did the same thing for their gods. They represented their gods by their names. Now notice what the Bible says in verse 7. It said, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave to Daniel. See, Daniel means the judge of Elohim. But he gave him another name, and that name was Belteshazzar, to represent one of his gods. And Hananiah and Shadrach and Mishael, and he said to Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. And to Mishael, he gave the name Meshach. And to Azariah, the name Abednego. 
Now, he took the true names to represent the true Elohim and gave them false names to represent the false Elohims. Now, what I want you to notice is this. What I want you to notice is this. They, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they did not even complain about that. That was an issue that they could compromise. They, you know, they were not worried about what Nebuchadnezzar called them. What they were concerned about is who they actually worshipped. Now, if you remember in Roots, they, they were going to beat, I think it's Toby or something, they was going to beat him because he didn't succumb to their name. But I guess if he had read the book of Daniel, then he would have said, I don't, it's, it doesn't really matter what you call me. I know who I'm going to worship. Okay. But the, he was so concerned about the name, they almost beat him to death until he could get the master's name. And then when he called out the master's name, rather than his true name, then they let him go. But we don't, if we're taking the captivity and they want to change our name, let them change it. That, that ain't going to stop us from worshiping the true Elohim. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they didn't even worry about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Belteshazzar. They didn't worry about those heathen names. They just let it go. Is that what you want to call us? Call us that. But we're still going to worship true God. So we see that they worked out a compromise for their diet. And on their name, they didn't even contest the name. They didn't contest that. So what we are looking at is the things that they would contest <clears throat> and the thing that stood out most about their unwillingness to compromise was their worship. Their worship was the thing that they, they would not compromise. They didn't even negotiate that. They made up in their minds that they was going to worship the true Elohim. Now, when we look at when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to worship the golden image erected by Nebuchadnezzar, they were, they were <clears throat> uncompromising in their stance. Now, let us turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, and we read verse 16 to 18. And the Bible says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our Elohim, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. He said, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not observe thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they were uncompromising. They said, King, even if you give us a second chance, we, 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 we're not going to worship your gods. We're not going to do it. We're not going to negotiate it, and we're not going to compromise with it. This is something we will not compromise with. We can compromise with our names. We can negotiate with you on our diet. But when it comes to who we worship, we're not going to compromise. And this is what Daniel and them did back then. And this is something that we have to consider in the last days, that when we are under the oppressor, there are some things that we will not compromise. And if we do, well, we're on the side of the enemy. But if we don't, there's a death decree. Okay. 
Moreover, Daniel, let us turn to the book of uh, let us turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. And one can six, consider verses six through nine. Daniel six through nine. Now notice what it says in, in the sixth chapter of Daniel, verses six through nine says, it said, the then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And all the presidents of the kingdom and governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal stature and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any Elohim or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot, which alter not. Wherefore, the king Darius signed the writings and the decree. So when Daniel was also uncompromising under the reign of Darius in not praying to him or for 30 days, just as his three companions were under a death decree of being put into the fiery furnace, Daniel's death decree was being put into a lion's den if he did not worship what the king wanted him to worship, which was himself, for 30 days. But Daniel refused to do that. So under the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and under Daniel, they both had death decrees. And the book of Revelation says that we'll also have death decree if we don't worship the image of the beast. So we see that this pattern in history is continuing to repeat itself. In order to make us succumb to what they want, they give us a death decree. So what we are to see from these scenarios are that when we face opposition in our enslavement, if we are to be true to our Creator and Savior, there are some things negotiable that we can compromise, and there are others that we cannot negotiate nor compromise. Now that this is in our minds, let us see what were the factors which were standing in the way of Yah not being able to fully emancipate us today as his chosen people. We'll stop there and we'll take on next week of the factors that are prohibiting us from being able to be emancipated, even though we are coping with a condition here in America and around the world that is not conducive to us. Wow. Um, it's something to, you know, it never dawned on me that sometimes the punishment is not handed out just right away. It could be delayed. Mm -hmm. And, and it's interesting how you brought out too, is that basically with the delayment, it gives you a chance to ask for forgiveness and repentance to maybe get a lesser sentence of the sin mm -hmm. you had committed mm -hmm. and all. So I just wondered did our ancestors just say, well, it ain't happened to us now. So we just keep on the way we keep going and why we had such a harsh punishment. 
Yeah, that's what Solomon was saying. See, Solomon observed what was happening. Solomon said a lot of people, they just continue to do evil because they don't get a speedy judgment, and they really think they have gotten away with what they did. Yeah. And this is why a lot of times, even in our society, that when a person is caught doing a crime or something, if it's not a heavy crime, they'll put them in jail, not to be mean to them, but for them to to think about what they did. Yeah. So so they can say, well, hey, man, I won't do that again. But a lot of them get read out of jail and start doing the same thing. They say, well, I wasn't too liar, so I'm, I'm going to do such, such, and that. But we must not presume upon Elohim's grace and mercy to say, difficult idea, wrong, and I got by, and I got over on this person and that person that, oh, well, I can continue to do it because he, he's not going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because, too, uh, when you was talking about Adam, technically Adam did die within the day because when he spoke about the thousand days being, what, a year? Yeah, Wait. a thousand years. A thousand years is one day with Elohim. So technically, oh. he 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 died within a day. He sure did. And all. He sure did. Wow. Um. And this, and it, too, how you said too, it's interesting that most of these religions have not embraced embraced a return to the covenant. They take bits and pieces from scriptures to me, mm-hmm. and that's what they go on. Really, they to me, they have their own agenda. It's not so much returning to the covenant as it is trying to get across their own agenda. Well, this is true. This is why a lot, a lot of time when you question denominational leaders and church leaders today, mm-hmm. uh, what they'll tell you, they'll say, well, if you don't believe what uh, we teach you, then you can, you can even leave us or you must go according to what we teach even though the teaching might not even be based upon the Bible. Wow. And if you ask them about stuff that the Bible teaches that you should do, and they are not doing it, they say, well, no, we don't teach that. You have to go about what our denomination, what our church teaches. And you have to go about what this man teaches. And so when you, you put it that way, then you're saying that you, uh, the, the, the person that is teaching, and you're saying your church that is teaching, and the denominations teachings, mm-hmm. you're saying that if they differ from the Lord, you still have to follow it. That's yeah. that's not his covenant. Elohim never he, Elohim never gave a, a religion in the first place. He gave a covenant. He said, "Follow my covenant." And if they if that is that person, or that church, or the denomination is not teaching the covenant, mm-hmm. then it is not going into the way that Elohim wants that church or that denomination or that person to go. So therefore. You have to make the decision that if they're going to force you to man-made worship, then are you going to follow that? Like Daniel didn't want to follow the man-made worship, or you want to do like the rest of the nation of Judah? I'm pretty sure when the four Hebrews came in that there was a lot of more people of Judah who was falling down to that image and not being cast into the fiery furnace because they compromise their worship. Yeah. And so what are we doing today? If we just follow man-made worship and are not following the covenant, the covenant it was teaches us what to do, not religion. Mm. We have to follow the covenant. He gave us a covenant. We must, we must follow that. And if all of these denominations are not following Elohim, then they stand in question. Yeah. Uh, we have a question. Uh, we have an email. 
And it reads, uh, Daniel 3.12. Do we know where Daniel was when the three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fiery furnace? And I think we had talked about this not on the podcast, but I Mm -hmm. could have sworn we talked about this not long ago. I think Mm -hmm. I had asked you uh, where was Daniel. Was Daniel in the fiery furnace and you said no. No, he wasn't in there, no. Because the Bible says that, uh, it says, in verse 16 of the third chapter, it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we know, you know, Daniel wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But the question uh, to us is, where where was Daniel? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. All right. I want you to reason with me, and this is my research of what I I, I understand where Daniel was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want you to uh, let me see what 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 verse that, that did we have there? Uh, I believe it was that was Daniel, Daniel what three twelve. Okay, three twelve. Okay, let's look at Daniel three, three twelve, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna share something with the person who is asking the question. Okay, first let us read Daniel three twelve. <clears throat> it said, "There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men, O king, have not regarded thee; they serve not thy gods, nor worship." the golden image which thou hast set up. Now notice what it says. He said, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set up over the providence. Mm. Now, if you keep that keep that in mind, that these Be- uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, remember, they were so brilliant that uh, Nebuchadnezzar put them over. He put them over, o- over uh, his empire, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to go to... Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, verse. Uh, let me see. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's go to. Uh, w- this time we just want to back up a little bit. We want to go to uh, chapter uh, Daniel chapter uh, chapter two because there's a few verses I want 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 to deal with there. Okay. okay. In Daniel chapter 2, and we want to look at verse 46. It said, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and he worshipped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Okay, now, uh, this is when uh, Daniel had interpreted the king's dream. And if you remember when he interpreted the king's dream, that the king had dreamed of a metallic image and Daniel interpreted the dream. So he elevated Daniel. Okay. And then verse 47 said, then the king answered unto Daniel and said of a truth. It is that your Elohim is an Elohim of Elohim's, a Lord of Kings and a revealer of secrets. Seeing thou can reveal the secret. Then, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Now notice the position that Daniel had. He, like Joseph, that Potiphar put Joseph over the whole thing and never can ever say, hey, wait a minute, this man Daniel who interpreted the dream, I'm going to put him over the whole thing. Now when he put him over the whole thing, then Instead of him making the statue like Daniel had interpreted, he made an entire statue out of gold 
for them to worship. That's That was not what Daniel was trying to tell the king. He was trying to tell the king, you the head of gold, and your kingdom's going to be overcome. But the, but Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, took the interpretation to mean that, hey, no, my, my kingdom is not going to be overcome. I'm going to make the whole image of gold, and when I make the whole image of gold, I'm going to make everybody worship. Now, the point that I'm trying to get at is this. The reason why Daniel was not with, in my research, was not with the three others who were getting ready to be cast into the fiery furnace was this. He was on the king's business. Mm-hmm. He was away on the king's business. Now, you got to understand, if he's a top man in the, in the Babylonian Empire, this man was busy. He was quite busy. And so he didn't get caught up into that, but his other three companions, they were not in as much business as Daniel himself. And so as a result of that, he was probably away on business when this when this happened. And so... They knew they couldn't get Daniel. They said, so uh, let's look at these three other guys who are still here. We can get them. We might not get Daniel, but we can get them. And so I believe he was on away on the king's business, and that's why he couldn't be accounted for. Now, on the other side of the question, um, do we know when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den where the other three Hebrews were? Uh, there's a possibility. Uh, I'm not sure because remember at this time they were under uh, Darius. Oh, so that was they a were, total different king. Uh, it's a total different king. Uh-huh. But uh, we make a surmise. Now, when we turn to the sixth chapter, now what we notice in the sixth chapter even though the issue was, the issue was different. Mm-hmm. The issue was, uh, let, let, let's consider a few things. Okay, when we lead into the first uh, verse of the sixth chapter, it says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes. Now notice that, I want you to notice that. He had 120 princes. Okay which should be over the the whole kingdom. Okay, so these 120 was over the whole kingdom. And then it goes on to say, and over these three presidents, he said, and over these three presidents, now notice notice what's said. He said he's going to put three presidents over all of the, uh, of the 120 princes. Okay, he's going to put three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first, that the princes might make, might give account unto them, and the king should not, should have no damage. Then, then, now notice what verse 3 said, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because of an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set uh, him over the whole realm. So Daniel is over the whole realm. Okay, you got that? Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's look at verse 4 of the 6th chapter of, uh, uh, of Daniel. In other words, we're trying to do some deductive reason to find out why Daniel was not in in this, and, and it was just, uh, uh, let me see, uh, I mean, why three Hebrews was not in. Let me see, is that the one? Yeah, okay. It said, then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against what? Daniel. Okay, now what you want, what what I want you to see here, 
Why did they want to find fault with Daniel? Because the other three, they were under Daniel, but Daniel was over the whole thing, mm. and the other 120, uh, uh, 120 princes, they were under uh, 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 Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's who they were under. Okay. But then Daniel was over all of them. Oh, okay. Okay, now, so when you look in verse 4, it says in the first part of verse 4, then the presidents and the princes, all of the 120 he was talking about, they sought to find uh, occasion against Daniel, not not the other three, because he was a top dog. They wanted to pull Daniel down. They didn't they they didn't care about the other three because they knew if they could put Daniel down, they could eventually probably get to the other three. So it says then <coughs> then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not, <coughs> but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. In other words, he did his work, and they couldn't find fault. And then they said the only way we can find fault with this man, and the reason why they hated him, because he was a Jew, he was from the tribe of Judah, he was not even a Babylonian. And Nebuchadnezzar put this man over all of them, mm. and they were infuriated by that. And verse 5 lets us know why. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his Elohim. That's the only way. And so they were not after the other three. They were after the top man. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. They really think that they was after the top guy and not the guys below. Mm-hmm. And before they was just going through training pretty much, and then David was away on business. Uh, Daniel was away. Yeah, Daniel was away. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, and I think with that, we will transition to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So, as you know, a lot of us have been waking up to understanding who we are as a people, to understand our history and to understanding that the scriptures are a lot of our hidden history in there. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn with me to Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter, verse two, because this week I want to talk about how should Yah's people conduct themselves uh, rather than on a daily at home, you know, how are we should should we conduct ourselves? And if we read in Deuteronomy 14, verse two, it reads. For thou art a set apart people unto Yahuwah, thy Elohim, and Yahuwah hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the earth. So. Pastor, if we are a peculiar people, a chosen people, how are we to conduct ourselves uh, in regards to dealing with everyone in this world? Is there a certain standard that we should be abiding by on a daily? Yeah, it should be. Um, now, in conjunction with the text that you read, let us also uh, turn to... First Peter, uh, I think it's, it's kind of in conjunction with what your question was. 
Okay. And we'll all turn to First Peter chapter two and verse nine. Okay, now what we consider in uh, Deuteronomy chapter fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, notice what it says here in verse fourteen of Deuteronomy fourteen. It says. Uh, <clears throat> Verse 2 says, For ye are an holy people, okay, unto Yah, thy Elohim, and Yah has chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all that are upon, upon the earth, okay? Mm-hmm. No say. So that, that demands a certain accountability and a certain disposition. Okay, so when we read uh, uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, it said, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? That means that if you're a chosen generation, that means he, he has picked you out above all people. And he said, you're a royal priesthood. What does that mean? A priest in the days of old, they had to wear a certain attire to distinguish them as a priest. And usually the common priest, they wore a white linen. And we know that the white linen represents the righteousness of, of Yeshua. So it's not only the clothes that they wore, but the life that they uh, was to present underneath the wearing of the linen that they should present themselves as holy people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when he talks about peculiar, it's talking about a people that are, are different mm. from the sinful practices of the world. That's what it is. You're a peculiar people, okay? okay. And then it says that as you try to carry yourself in righteousness, as you recognize that you have been chosen, then you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, now what is this saying? This is saying... Like we've been talking, and what you said earlier was the fact that there are more people who are being enlightened about that we are the true people. But a lot of times when you become enlightened that you are the true people, are you doing what Elohim says that you should do? And he's saying now that you come into the, to the knowledge that really the slaves, many of the slaves who came over here, they were actually Hebrew people. And now that you are coming out of that darkness— Give him the praise. Mm. Show forth the praise. Now, how do you give him praise? You give him praise by coming back and doing what his covenant says and appreciating him for the light that he has given you, that now that you have come out of darkness into his marvelous light and you present the truth as it is in Yeshua, then this is the way that you are living up to the expectation. Yes, you do have a different persona than those in the world in that when you get this light that you have, you not only talk about that light, but you live that light. And by you living that light, then other people can be able to see the good works that you are doing and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because they're saying, now, I not only have been taught this, but I see how these people live, mm-hmm. and now I have an example of what to live by. Yes, our standard is different. And, you know, um, to... By doing that, the way we act will be different towards other nations. But it seems like a lot of times we still 
give the persona like as we still uh, do what other nations do as opposed to being a peculiar people, being someone different. And I don't understand, like, how come we can't embrace being a peculiar people in everything? Um, well, let me ask this, too. Do we have to do certain things to be a peculiar people, you know, outside of the Torah? Because, you know, sometimes we'll look at the Ashkenazi Jewish people and how especially the Orthodox Jewish people, how they dressed, they, the way they do their hair and the little bob and thing that they do when they pray. Uh-huh. Um, is that a peculiar people or is it something more we must be doing than just some type of physical thing? Because to, to, sometimes to me, I feel that's a lot of show. And I think we should, our behavior should speak volumes where we don't have to do certain things and dress a certain way to show that we are a, a different people. You know, uh, you know, that, that has, uh, yeah, that, that is important. You know, it's not so much how you dress and unless you, you know, you dress in provocative, uh, yeah. which is not, which is not uh, basically dealing with dress from the standpoint of what you wear, but it's dealing with dress of how you are wearing it and the type of clothes that you are wearing. Just like when the uh, Russian Jews had this Russian, uh, this fur cap on and the black clothes, and then you look at uh, some of the Ashkenazi Jews and how they wear the black hats and the black and the black suits and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you have... Um, certain Orthodox Jews, you know, they may wear the yarmulke and stuff like that. Does this, is this what he's talking about? Mm, I don't, I don't think so. Because of the fact that, uh, when you deal with the yarmulke, I don't even think they even wore yarmulkes back in biblical times. No. Okay. And nor did they wear the Russian fur hat back in biblical times or the black suits. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're going to really identify any type of dress, it would seem like it to be the white linen that the priests wore. They mm. wore, they, I don't think they wore no black. Mm. Okay, so where this black came from, I don't know. And even when they wear their CCs, many of their CCs is all white, but yeah. yet Elohim told them, when you make your CCs, he had have a blue cord down there because the blue cord represents my law, which is the Ten Commandments from the of sapphire stones. But they don't wear it. They just wear white. So, I don't, I don't think it's their particular dress that Elohim is talking about. I think it's a decorum of how you live. Because how can you say uh, that you are considered the true people and that you own Hollywood and you, knew, and you use the news media, but the only narrative that you permit out in the public is the narrative that speaks what you want them to speak and you don't give others the freedom of speech. Yeah. So I think what Elohim is saying is that it's not just in your dress, but in how you conduct your business. Are you honest in your business? Are you ripping people off? Are you being honest with them on an honest day's wage of people who work for you? Are you the type of uh, employee that you exploit your employees by giving them the minimum amount rather than a maximum amount, even when there's an inflation and people are struggling to try to make it, that the only time they can get health care insurance is that they have to work for your organization uh, five years, but you know in 
within five years, you will find so so much against them and what they did that they cannot make it for five years, and you let them go and bring somebody else in and oppress them, and they are not able to make it. To me, that is not, I don't care how you address, that is not fair. Mm-hmm. But when you can give a decent day's wage and when you can sell your products for a, a decent price and not to exploit people by overcharging them, then to me, that is that is the type of life that you're looking for in a believer, not to get over on people, but to be fair with people. These are the things, not just your dress. And, you know, it's interesting how you said even about business because uh, and even like with Hollywood and everything, even though these people own a lot of these outlets, a lot of the things they put out is not according to what y'all would want to be put out. It's a lot of filth, mm-hmm. a lot of sexual overtones, a lot of uh, uh, murder and uh, mm-hmm. theft, everything that breaks the commandments and disrupts the Torah. You're correct. And yeah. all. So, you know, to me, it goes deeper than you saying you're supposedly your chosen people when your actions do not speak to that mm. in everything. Yeah, and that's one of the that's one of the contradictions you see, you know. And that's when they are questioning uh, some of the products that they put out because when you look at what they are putting out, almost in the first five minutes of a lot of the uh, films that they are putting out for us to so-called enjoy, mm-hmm. they have broken almost all ten of the commandments in mm-hmm. the first five minutes. True. And how can you say that you are the tr- uh, true people and you're not being honest and you're putting mo- promoting filth rather than righteousness? That cannot be. Let me, let me use another text found in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 21. Uh, chapter 21 and, and, and verse 8. The Bible says this, you know, and this is how we ought to live and make the example. It says... Uh, well, we back up to verse 7. It said, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his Elohim, and he shall be my son. So if we are the sons and daughters of Elohim, uh, he, notice what he says in verse 8. He said, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. So mm. what I'm saying is, He's listening. All of the stuff that Hollywood is putting out is right here in verse number eight. Wow. So, yeah. so what what kind of lifestyle are you promoting to the world? Seems like if you you say you're the true people, wouldn't you put putting out decent stuff? Wouldn't you be putting out stuff about Yeshua? Would you be putting out stuff that the Torah teaches that are wholesome to live by? How to eat, how to dress. Yeah. How to think and how to talk and how to walk. Wouldn't you be putting that out? But that's yeah. not what's coming out there. It's nothing but uh, breaking the commandments, breaking the covenant, breaking the statutes and the laws, and doing everything that the Bible teaches against. And yet you you call yourself the true people? No, that cannot be. And then notice what it says in Revelation uh, 22, 11. It says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he that is Filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. So Elohim is saying, you know, if if you want to be unjust, just be that, because when I come, if that's the way you are unjust, that's the state you're going to remain. 
He said, if you're filthy when I come, eating swines, pork, and all the stuff that you're doing, and dressing provocative and showing off your body and all of this uh, uh, promiscuities and sexual fornication, he said, when I come, is that's the filth that you are doing, that's the state that you're going to remain. But yeah. if you're righteous, when I come, that's the state I'm going to catch you in. And if you're holy, that's the state I'm going to get you in. And those holiness and righteous state is what's going to get us in. But the unjust and the filthy state is what's going to keep us out. So if you really talking about you are the true people, you have to exercise that through following the covenant that he has given. And, you know, and this is one of the things, too, um, that I had to feeling with the black Hebrew Israelites is that um, it's not a culture of embracing others and trying to show, okay, this is the lifestyle that we should be living, no matter what race nation you're from. You know, we have to, if we're the chosen people, we have to do better than what others are doing. We have to be those chosen people that Yah has put on this earth to show other nations him. And I just feel mm-hmm. a lot of these different movements, they don't do that. And to me, like, what is the point then in all? Yeah, you may have the blood running through you of Israel, but your actions don't show Israel. You know, our actions should be mm-hmm. shown throughout the world, pointing to the creator. Like when Yeshua came here, everything he did pointed to the father. And that's what I think we as Israel, we should be doing in our actions. Everything we do points to the Father. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. He came to glorify the Father. Yeah. Yeah. And well, walk in his glory by doing his covenant. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the thing, you know, uh, we have to start returning to the covenant. And I think as we digest and understand the covenant and start walking in the covenant. We won't be doing what other nations do. We won't be trying to imitate other nations. The only one we'd be trying to imitate is our Messiah. That's well, true. Pastor, as we get ready to close this out, can you take us to the throne in prayer? Okay. Our loving Father, we are gracious, and we just praise your name, for you are worthy of praise. You're given us six days, and on the seventh day, O Heavenly Father, it was the Shabbat, and we come to praise and give glory to you. We thank you for the meals that we've put on our table. We thank you for the clothes on our back. We thank you for the transportation to get around. We thank you for shelter over our heads, and we thank you, O Heavenly Father, for the spiritual foods and the benefits that you have given us, that we can truly be your sons and your daughters. We realize, O Heavenly Father, that as we follow your covenant promises, that even in the midst of toil and hardships and difficulties, you can still take over your people and give them the best in life, even though we are subservient to a nation that have not given us all of the rights that we should have, but yet we can still have the best of life if we walk in your covenant promises. So teach us your covenant. Teach us how to understand it and teach us how to live it. And the way that we understand and live it is to look at the life of Yeshua for the things that he did and the things that he's taught comprises the messianic covenant, Lord, that you have given to us. So we ask that you would continue to bless my host, bless me, bless each listener, and most of all, bless us, that we can come together in Yeshua to be able to see that their covenant was fulfilled in him. And as we come to him, he would give us power through the 
strength of the Holy Spirit that comes from the Father to be able to merge with your covenant and be the children that you would have us to be. And as we continue to go through this life, O Heavenly Father, we'll recognize the things that you have given us that they may be superior over things that men give to us that we can be on your good side to be able to receive the promises, not only today, but in the future. And when thou dost come, we can meet you in peace, is my prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, I do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, that is our podcast for this week. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And on our next podcast, we will address your comment or your question. O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones, he is Yahuwah Eloheinu. His judgments are in all the earth, and be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.